Welcome to our Learning and Evaluation Spotlight. We are on the second in this special series of the Find the Outside podcast, where we are interviewing experts and practitioners and expert practitioners in different kinds of evaluation. And for this one, we interviewed Jamie Gamble, who is someone who is on fire about developmental evaluation. Absolutely. And I I think what's so exciting is that he's been such a big a big contributor to the development of developmental evaluation. I mean, I'm thinking back to he published in 2008 with McConnell Foundation, a developmental evaluation primer, which is used all over the world, um, you know, and, and his work is really around focusing strategy and evaluation and organizational change, which is just such a great, a great set of intersecting skills um, and perspectives to bring to change, which is exciting. Just to give like listeners a little bit of a, a touch of the interview before we go right in, we talked about neutrality, which I know is big for finding outside listeners. Uh, we talked about being neutral, but deeply engaged in the work. We talked about how to help people think that that's what evaluation does. And I have to tell you, it felt really good to hear someone talk about evaluation, not only is foundational to the work, but is something that helps the work progress. Mm-hmm. And that just feels like such a key message in evaluation work and can sometimes get missed with all of the other framings and contexts around evaluation. So it felt great that that message came through so clearly. And I think he's he's really uh, able to bring a simplicity to complex topics, which I just am delighted by. Uh, the other thing that really stood out to me was uh the curiosity and inquiry mm-hmm. he brings to conversation and to this work, even though he's he's been in it for, you know, over 20 years. Mm. So there's this real sense of he's always on the edge of his own learning um, and in that inquiry and curiosity. And I just think that's a brilliant um, a brilliant quality to bring to any evaluation. So that just is exciting. That's right. So if we have made you interested, keep uh, keep on here and you will hear from us and Jamie Gamble. Well, welcome today, Jamie Gamble, to our podcast episode as part of the Learning and Evaluation Spotlight series. And both Tuesday and I are delighted to be chatting with you today. Uh, you know, you're the principal of Imprint Consulting but you have extensive background in designing and delivering consulting projects in a variety of areas. And really, when I think of your work, I think of you as an incredible collaborator uh, at the intersections of strategy, evaluation, and organizational change. And I know over the past 20 plus years, you've been working in many places um, and with many groups of people all around the world. And so, of course, it was just natural to invite you into this series uh, and this conversation. And I think another part of it, which is just quite exciting, is that both uh, Jamie and I live in the Maritimes of Canada. And so uh, it's great to have some regional connections as well. Uh, So we're just we're really delighted to have you here today. Well, thanks, Gabe. It's really fun to be here. I know we're going to have an awesome conversation, and I just enjoy speaking with both of you all the time. So it's nice to have one recorded that we can share with others. Absolutely. And I have to say, I'm having this moment of, you know, do you ever have these moments in your life where you're like, huh, I never thought I'd be here. I have them a lot, frankly, if I'm just going to be honest with the two of you, because I like grew up like in public housing and then in a trailer park. And like, sometimes I'm just like, how is this my life? But I just had this moment right now of like, I'm about to talk to two people 
who have a passion for evaluation. And I feel really excited. And I'm like, how is this my life? You know, just like imagining being like this social worker person and um, like, wow, evaluation. But Jamie, I have to tell you that evaluation has become such an important part of what we offer at the outside. And, and I think at first it felt like an add-on, right? Like, oh, it's something you need to do, so we'll have it. And now it just feels so integral to what we do that I feel enthusiastic and like really up for this conversation. So I just had that moment I wanted to share with the both of you and I'm so glad you're here too. And, um, but, but before, I mean, I've got a million questions, but maybe we could just hear from you a little bit on kind of what, maybe even, I want to know how you came to your work, but I would love to know how you describe your, your current work. And then we'll talk about how you got here. Yeah. So I describe my work as helping people think better so that they can do better. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, really evaluation should be in service to whatever mission or ambition or purpose a group of people or or an organization has. And so that's what I get to do for a living is just help people to think. And, mm. and, and there's so many barriers to thinking. Well, it's not natural for us as humans. So I, I see it as an important role. It's a fun role. And, you know, that's, and so we call that evaluation, but you know, it's, it's, it's about, as Gabe said, it's about strategy. It's about change. It's about being in the work alongside people and, and bringing evaluative reasoning into their practice. I love, I mean, already it's reminding me why I love conversations with you, which is that you just bring these very accessible ways to talk about something like evaluation with real simplicity that helps people enter into it in a way that can be quite challenging. And I remember when I first started working in the field, particularly when I got excited in developmental evaluation, I would kind of spout off all of the the words, the jargon, the, you know, the framing, and, and I would lose people. And so it's just so great to, to hear the snippets of how you describe this work in great ways. And so thanks for that. And really curious, how, how did you come to this field? How did you come to this work? Yeah, I, I think I kind of slipped in the back door because I started a sort of consulting career, if you could call it that, just working on projects with people on things they needed. Maybe it was a new strategic plan or facilitating a workshop or helping them, you know, do some kind of consultation in their communities. Those are very sort of classic ways of engaging with organization as a, as an outsider and had a relationship with the McConnell foundation. And they were at a place early days of exploring social innovation in Canada and feeling really stuck about evaluation. So a lot of the, the things they were trying to support we're not having good experiences with evaluation, which was really all about define everything you're doing up front and then measure your progress towards that thing you figured out up front. But that doesn't work when you haven't figured out everything up front. And so they started working with Michael Quinn Patton, who coined the term and sort of the original thinker around developmental evaluation to support 10 projects across Canada. Some were McConnell grantees, some were partner organizations, but 10 of us were for better part of two years, developmental evaluators. And no one had really ever done that before. Mm. And our job was to take this idea and apply it in whatever way we interpreted that idea. And then we get together with Michael and one another every four, five, six months and share what we were doing. And that 
that was really my pivot into evaluation and specifically developmental evaluation. And that whole process was the basis for the developmental evaluation primer, which, you know, came out in 2008. But really that is a record of that journey that all those people went on. And really since then, that's been the primary focus of my work is, is evaluation and specifically evaluation for complexity and innovation. So what, I mean, obviously, if there were 10 projects, there are probably any number of people who went through that same process you did. But what lit you up? Why did it kind of catch with you? How did it become like the center of your work? What was it about developmental evaluation? Well, I think I was always really interested in strategy. And here was this link between evaluation and strategy really coming to life. And Yes, you know, it's rigorous, like developmental evaluation draws upon rigorous thinking, using data, but I really like that sort of creativity and fluidity that's needed to help people adapt and change. And then there was just a demand and I, you know, you get pulled into that demand and you see it helping people. And that just makes you want to do more and more. I feel like that's been in some ways my whole life. There's been like the training of what there is to do. And then like, there's a, when you get in it, it's like, oh, and kind of following this seems to work. Let's do more of that. Right. And it's not that the, and obviously the training is incredibly important, but it's almost like the training is the foundation to then begin to really explore and say like, okay, absolutely. Um, this is what, this is what we're up to. I love that. I love that. And again, I just want to like pull back I don't think in most people's conception of evaluation, it's like following the creativity, right? And the generativity and working with complexity, like that feels like what's so different about what you do and what Gabe does and I, what some of our other guests will do is it does feel like it's quite responsive, right? To what's happening rather than prescriptive. Absolutely. And that's, I think we run into problems when it becomes prescriptive because there's no listening in that. You're not tuning into well, what are your questions? What are you wrestling with? Where are your uncertainties? Like we've got to start with answering those questions mm. and then move to evaluation as opposed to, I've got some methods I can introduce to you. <laughs> they may be the right ones. They might be the wrong ones, but where start with that curiosity and that need and build out from there. So it's very, very responsive in the way you say. Mm. Yeah, it certainly is experientially is a very different kind of evaluation. And I, you know, I very much feel like an accidental evaluator and I mean, still to this day, I kind of chafe at the title because uh, because there's so much baggage attached with the term evaluation as it's understood in really traditional or mainstream ways. And so to unpack all of that and actually say, no, evaluation can be very creative, very exciting, very, uh, very responsive word both of you used. And um, but to kind of move through all of that can be can be tricky and, and challenging. And I, and I certainly think, you know, one of the reasons why we wanted to have this particular spotlight series is that we've mentioned evaluation and Tim and Tuesday have mentioned it over time um, on the podcast, but we've never really devoted a, a good chunk of time to exploring it and inviting our listeners into the possibilities of what what it looks like in this work in exciting ways. And so I'm really curious, uh, Jamie, what are the um, what are the assumptions that you encounter when you when people hear the term evaluation or when you're brought into an initiative or a project and not everybody there might have a sense of developmental evaluation? And perhaps you could just start with as you answer that question, just a kind of quick like what's your elevator pitch on what developmental evaluation is and then 
you know, what are the assumptions you encounter as you as you enter into work with folks? Sure. Well, let's start with the definition of evaluation. Simple definition that I have in my mind is that, you know, you're being systematic and thorough and drawing upon that critical thinking, evaluative reasoning to answer questions and answer very pragmatic questions, right? Not differentiates from research, right? In that you, there is an appliedness to this work, right? You're trying to do something in the world and inform that doing in some way. What developmental evaluation says, well, let's hold on to all that's good about evaluation, right? That systematicness, that evidence base, that, that evaluative reasoning, and apply that to really dynamic, highly complex situations where you're figuring something out for the first time, or you've got a radically changing context and you've got to adjust and respond to that change. And so you're holding those two almost polarities together in an evaluative space. And then the challenge I think around the assumption then is people make assumptions around what evaluation is. Evaluation is a plural word, evaluations, right? Mm -hmm. There are so many ways to think about and go about evaluation. Are we talking about evaluation for performance, for accountability, Mm. strategic learning, innovative design, a combo of those, something else, engagement with our community. There's so many reasons to do evaluation. And they lead you down a particular path, right? They lead you to certain questions. They learn lead you to certain ways of knowing and interpreting. They lead you to different kinds of methods. And so I think the biggest assumption I encounter is someone say, oh, I need an evaluation. And they assume everyone else understands exactly what they mean. Mm. And so Hmm. people talk past one another. Funders talk past the people that they're funding. Collaborators within an initiative talk past one another because they think they are using evaluation for the same purpose. And that's often not the case. That doesn't mean those purposes can't coexist. Of course, we can hold those things together, but that needs to be out in the open. It needs to be clearly understood by everybody. That's a big part of the role of the evaluator is to help people understand, well, like, why do you want to do this? And, and then get into the how. And it's not clear for everybody. So there's some work to be done to really sort that out in the, in the beginnings of any evaluation. Yeah, I can imagine that many people engage with evaluation, just having come from the nonprofit sector, engage with evaluation because they have to, right? You know, like you kind of do it because this is a, you know, responsibility of your grant or, or whatever. And so how do you help people begin to see the possibility of the evaluation actually supporting their work? And that's a question for both of you. How do you, how do you, because evaluation has such a connotation of kind of have to, to get this, especially in the nonprofit field. I'm curious how you all kind of help people kind of begin to expand their understanding to see that this is actually something that can be helpful. It isn't just an add-on or something you have to do as a requirement. Yeah, I think it's a conversation about what they're doing and why. Like I, I begin by just getting people to talk and say like, well, what, what are you really trying to do and where you feel stuck and what would help you do this better? Or what do you want to learn about? Mm. And not to discount the external, like you need to feed that beast, right? You need sure. to meet those requirements and, and 
but it's, it, it shouldn't begin and end there. And so how do we help people really think about what, if you just did evaluation for yourself, what would you do? What would you want to mm. do? And that, that conversation often leads to, well, there's actually a lot of overlap between what we're required to do, okay. but there's this other stuff that we need to do as well. Okay. Then how do we start to build that in in a way that's in the way you were just describing Tuesday, it's like it become an integrated part of your practice. Like that's when, you know, evaluation is really singing when it's just, it's, it's central to how you think and work. It becomes part mm. of your, part of your budgeting, part of your governance, part of your decision-making, all of those things. If evaluation is woven into that, those things should be better. And, and so let's, let's find out. And let's start small. Let's start in a way that just helps to build that in a way that's pragmatic and grow from there. Because as people start to see value, they want to do more. They're drawn to it. Right. Right. I, I would say my experience has been quite similar. I mean, I, I'm thinking of particular initiatives or projects where the, the, the senior leader or the folks who bring me in or invite me into the work already see the need and purpose of evaluation. So they're already on board. And then there is often a kind of quite an easy integration. That's a great foundation. I certainly find um, in spaces where there is a lot of baggage around the term evaluation or staff feel that they're being evaluated for their performance and their success or failure by potentially a senior leader or a funder, that that it can breed an antagonistic relationship or a feeling of that. And, and I think for me, the main task and challenge and the delight in that is how can we actually make an intervention where people see it helping them do their work better and that mm -hmm. they see me in the trenches with them, you know? And I mean, I, Michael Quinn Patton talks about this in, in, um, in the new the new work around blue marble evaluation and evaluation for transformation you have to actually have skin in the game mm. as a you're not a neutral evaluator mm. and i mean that's a that's a quite a big debate in the evaluation field certainly whether your role okay. is to be a neutral observer who's 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 evaluating you know from a distance the success or failure of an initiative or are you a collaborator in the work to help to help that initiative respond. And I think from a, a complexity, from the complex challenges that we face and from the sense of, of no one person knows the answer or the strategy that moves us forward to get to the place where we can be in that exciting collaborative space and where, you know, you know, people are seeing the value of it. And I think usually that happens after the first cycle of, of some kind of evaluation developmental cycle, you know, within maybe three months of working together helping people identify their next steps, their clarity, their strategy, or even just speaking to the tensions that might be playing out in the group that need attention or the hidden beliefs, limiting beliefs that are holding holding the work back. That's exciting to me. Um, you know, and sometimes I find I'm able to break through or my team or those I'm working with, we're able to break through that, that cultural, those norms. And then, and sometimes we can't. Um, and they actually just need, you know, to go with a much more traditional evaluation um, approach. And, and I think part of it for me, at least, is discerning when is that moment. Um, it doesn't happen often, but I think that certainly the, the ability to let go and say, actually, this isn't the right kind of evaluation for mm. you. And, and I think it's both and. It's not either like this sort of objectivity versus collaborative. Like you, it's not like you're indifferent to the climate emergency or yeah. racial equity or 
authoritarian. Like these are big issues and the stakes are high. And, and, but the value you bring to people advancing work in those areas is by being an objective outsider. And Mm -hmm. I think, I think it's, the ethic is your own integrity as like, yes, I am helping people think really critically because I care about the results that they're working towards. And, and I I think you hold both together Mm -hmm. and, and what that leads us to do, or what I want to do is be provocative. I want to challenge Mm -hmm. people. Like we know we get better when we challenge our thinking, but you can only do that at the speed of trust. And so you need to be building both. Right. If you have only provocation and no trust, no one's going to listen to you. But if you have only trust and no provocation, great. You have a great relationship. But are you actually helping to advance the thinking and the work? It's it's you've got to hold both. Absolutely. I feel like that's kind of a, a piece of general advice we can take to all systems change. Jamie, you know, we hear a lot about trust and relationships and we're like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we have to, we have to also move the work into that provocation and trust that kind of, that nice kind of oscillation feels really right on. And so you mentioned a couple of things there. You mentioned climate emergency, you mentioned racial equity, you mentioned authoritarianism, which, you know, obviously I can, I can imagine our listeners are like, oh, what is, you know, like, what is, what is he doing there? Uh, And I would love to hear some of the work you're doing there. But first I want to ask you, because you said, these are, these are things I care about, right? I I, I do want to move the needle. And earlier you, you had the phrase barriers to thinking well, you know, that I, you know, we encounter these barriers to thinking well, part of my, my job is to like work with these barriers to thinking well. And so I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about the common barriers to thinking well. I just want to hear you say that because in, in my mind, I'm like, oh, how will that come up in racial equity work? How will that come up in climate emergency? What are what are the barriers that are common to thinking well that you're encountering and what do you do with them? There are so many, right? Like just <laughs> Google cognitive bias and you like they're posters with like hundreds of them <laughs> listed, right? So yeah. but so we, we, we see them all, right? We care about the results. So we cherry pick data that mm-hmm. supports our way of thinking or our results. We don't look for the sort of contrary argument. Or we've invested so much in something that we just want to keep investing in it, even though we start to realize it's not the highest and best use of our time and energy. Right. Right. We overemphasize sort of the big news or the recent news when there's all sorts of other data points that, mm. that are useful to us, right? So it's very sort of classic critical thinking challenges that are inherently human. Right. And so how do we, again, it comes back to that, like how do we be systematic and thorough to make sure that we are addressing those critical thinking challenges as we try and answer the questions that we're trying to answer? And that's the job of the evaluator is it's not to go out and date. It's, yes, of course, we design a survey or an interview or, do the data collection, the biggest job of the evaluator is to help people make sense of that, Mm. right? And that's what's so underdone in organizations is the time and space and energy and design around analysis Mm -hmm. and taking that data and having that actually inform decisions and strategy and thinking. That's the gap. Right. We've got lots and lots of data. (laughs) That's the gap. Right. And so I think where evaluators can really put their energy is helping people to fill that gap and do that and do that better. 
That's great. Yeah. A couple of things. Gabe, I promise I, I'm not going to ask a question here and I'm, and, and I'm going to ask a question. But the thing that occurs to me is, yes, this is why we have all these reports. Right. But then they don't seem to change anything because we actually haven't used the reports to make sense to take our next action. Right. They're just kind of like they're just the data that's just there. It's not actually informing necessarily much action. And then I also want to say I have this fantasy in all of my free time at some point, you know, because I used to be a psychotherapist and they're like the top 10 cognitive distortions. I feel like I'd love to write an article on how those top 10 cognitive distortions play out in racial equity work. Right. Because yeah. they're so there and they're and like you said, they're just human. Right. We all do them all of the time. But could we begin to reflect as a movement on how we're employing those distortions? And mm. then what could that spur us to? Connecting back to a point, Jamie, that you made earlier in this last response around uh, the ways in which if if the data and the findings can inform action and next steps. And I think for me, one of the most satisfying kind of personal success metrics I feel in the work is when a team actually makes a pivot or a shift based on data. Because I, as I've learned over the years, having that data in front of them or those findings in front of them doesn't necessarily mean, I mean, I think at first I thought, oh, they'll see it and go, yep, it's actually time to switch directions, make a pivot, make a change. But there's this process actually of unhinging from uh, people's beliefs and what they think will work, even if they have findings or data that says otherwise. And I'm just, I'm really curious, how do you, how you unhook that in a group or work to unhook that, even if they see something, but they're kind of hell bent on going in the direction that isn't supported by, by the findings or the data that's been collected. Do you have ways in which you try to loosen that? Yes, I think the way forward is to get people into an experimental space to the extent that they can. So if we're really invested in a pathway forward, it's really hard to say, well, we're just going to abandon that and do something different, even though it's been the center of our thinking for the last three years, right? Like that's just not natural for people and probably risky, mm. right? And yeah. then it might actually not be the right thing to do. So it feels risky, but it also might be risky just because it is. So I think if people can think about variations on that and say, well, what if we started to play with this alternative and that alternative in a safe way and like, and safe being sort of ethically safe, but also like value and cost safe and say, well, let's just look at A, B and C over a short time horizon and see if we get some signals that tell us yeah, our inkling that maybe we weren't onto the right thing is actually feeling more right now. Okay, <laughs> then let's start to move more towards this other direction. Or actually, it's reaffirming our understanding of where we were. Good. We didn't go too, we didn't pivot too prematurely. Uh, we, we, we took some time to think that through. And that's, that's a delicate dance because we want to be efficient. We want to move quickly. Sometimes it feels very inefficient to do like, three simultaneous things that are different, but in the long term, it probably is more efficient, right? And so whether that's a thought experiment or actual field experiment, who knows? Depends on the situation. But I think that's the in-between space that helps people move yeah. towards those kind of adjustments. Yeah, that, that key word of experimental and, and how that becomes a mindset that we cultivate c collectively in the work. 
Uh, Tuesday, you were you you were beginning to bring us in this direction, and I think you know at the outside equity and working with power and having an allegiance to just and equitable futures is really essential to all of the work that we engage in. And so thinking about that through the lens of, of evaluation and learning. And so really curious from your vantage point, how, you know, how are the current equity or decolonizing conversations and I should say not or and decolonizing conversations, how are they pushing um, or evolving evaluation practice? What are you seeing? Well, it's seeing lots and it's wonderful. I would say equitable evaluation, which is not new, but is more front and center. It is a thing that can be evaluated and should be evaluated. So it, it may become the focus of an evaluation. It is an approach that we have more time and attention for now in a really good way. I just even... If it's not an equitable value, I think values are more part of the conversation. Like, are we actually manifesting our values and practice is more and more like a line of inquiry that I'm seeing in evaluations. Um, I, I'm thinking about a lot and seeing others think about a lot about really like the who who gives meaning, who mm. decides like that's that's where the power lies. Right. So consulting more people or having a more diverse data set good but not good enough right mm. like who interprets that data who gives meaning and context to that data what are the worldviews that shape how that data is interpreted or even shape the sort of approaches and methods that are used to gather that data what's the nature of the relationship in the process of gathering that data um and then and then who decides on what to do about it like that's where the real power lies. And so how does how does that become distributed and shared much more democratically? And so I think it's really, you know, inclusion, not just in the gathering, but in the process of knowing is where evaluation is moving and, and certainly needs to move more and more. And so how are you? I love this. I, I actually kind of capture that's, you know, it's not enough because I feel like in some ways, especially around equity practice, we're getting um, to the place of like, oh, OK, we have some acceptance, right? Like you need diverse teams and, you know, there's some acceptance, but it, but but we're ready for that next step. Right. We're ready for like, OK, we've done this. Now what? And so I love what you're saying there about who makes sense of it um, and then how it's used. And I'm curious how you are seeing clients do that. Is it, you know, groups of people are part of the evaluation who are making the decisions? How are you seeing people put some of those thoughts into practice that it's not just kind of gathering data from a diverse group, but then sense making and acting on that data from kind of a more equitable. Can you give us some like. And either one of you, but like some, what, how are groups doing it? What does it look like um, on the ground for people to kind of make those moves? With technology platforms that enable more distributed interpretation of data, right? So you are providing micro narratives and then interpreting that in context. And if you do that at scale, you, you get this kind of very deep, but, but justice oriented ethnography, I think those are really powerful and have lots and lots of potential. Mm. I, I think just people being trans, this is about transparency, right? And so it's about, well, what is on the table in terms of a decision mm. and who, who gets mm -hmm. invited into that conversation? So it, it's opening up strategy conversations and organizations or interpretive sessions or, you know, mm. and, and 
there's a degree of readiness that an organization needs to have uh, to to go there, and there may be incremental steps that you can do to go there. But it's 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 building that practice around uh, about relationship and the kind of relationship you have as you're doing, and taking the risk attached to that as you as you enter into these things. Oh, I love you you speaking to the the technology piece and all of these online platforms we now have. And I, you know, I mean, I think that's certainly been an incredible part of doing more work over the past, you know, three years online has, has been seeing the ways in which actually in many ways that's opened up more contribution by more people. Uh, you know, I mean, I think I, I even saw it this morning as we, we made a shift from a, a session, a retrospective that Tuesday and I were in where we, it began as questions that, that folks were talking about, but that, um, you know, we moved to, to Jamboard, right? For people to be putting stickies in. And actually all of a sudden we captured way more in five minutes of people doing their individual work and thinking and reflection on those questions than, an hour, I would say, of, of, of hearing people talk about it in the space, right? Because of, of who speaks first, who speaks longest, who, you know, all of those things. Um, and then <clears throat> I think speaking to the, the point of readiness, which was the other point I was thinking about as, as you were talking. And, you know, I do feel a real strong sense of responsibility to not to ask the questions for whoever is engaging the work or the evaluation. How is this data going to be used? How is it going to be interpreted? And who gets to participate in that? Who are we inviting into that? Um, and really d- discerning it. And I, I, I love how you bring this sense of, well, what's a good next step we can take in that direction? I think sometimes I might be a little more expecting um, a bigger commitment. Uh, and so I'm learning to scale that back. But what's the readiness for now and then continually assessing it? And I certainly... You know, I think at the outside, and I I know that you do this as well in in the spaces I've worked with you in in evaluation, is that we very much invite everybody who wants to participate in analysis to do so. And we don't, I don't come to the conclusions and recommendations about what should happen, you know, solo or even with a small team. It's really about inviting those we work with to be a part of that process and to bring tentative conclusions or findings and then say, what do you all make of this? And we could actually have completely different perspectives on what's going on here. And let's actually name it and make that visible. Um, And I think that that's really incredibly exciting. And we can start to see when a space has built the capacity to hold that kind of difference in tension in a generative way. Um, And that to me is really exciting. What do you see in that Tuesday? I mean, I, I think you're very much in these questions as well, you know, as a, a facilitator of participatory process. Well, you know, I was actually just I was actually just having a moment of like, oh, I wish I would have done this interview with you, Jamie and you, Gabe, about six weeks ago, because I, I was kind of I was kind of handed something like make sense of this. And I was like, no, we have to make sense of this together. Right. Like this is and and that was and I got a lot of pushback and I didn't have some of the great language I think you all just provided to me around. I kind of had a a felt sense of like this isn't this isn't responsible for me to be making sense of this actually, because I'm not in your context. And, um, and so I'm, I'm like, Oh yeah, I really wish I would have had some of this language. I will have it from now on. Um, but I, but generally I feel like what I hear from you all and what generally I would say, um, 
I've experienced as being successful in teams is like the invitation to make sense and then and then decide what the action is. It's like it's like, no, come on in. It's like opening a door. Right. Like often the sense making or data collection is like over there being done by those folks. But if we can like open the door and make an invitation, like actually we can do this together um, and, and it will be good together. And I've found that teams tend to delight in like there's a little bit of like a pushing through, like maybe like a doorway, but then teams tend to delight and take a lot of responsibility for, um, and I, of course, am thinking mostly, most I do this work with sensing interviews, but um, the teams that I work with, and we almost always insist on a team, right? Six to eight people to do this with us. They take a lot of responsibility for like making sure voices are heard and understood and responded to in a way that me as a single practitioner just never could. Um, so my my, my strategy has been an invitation and then like a letting the team really go um, to do it because I think that when people are given that responsibility, most of the time they want they want to do it well. They want to hear different voices. They want to make sense for a broader range of people. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I, and, and I do wish we'd done this interview six weeks ago. Now I have more language. This is fantastic. And and Jamie, I'm curious, like, so I just said inviting people in and, um, and you know, because I, I am the farthest thing from an evaluator, but I do believe that we can make sense of things together. Like that's kind of like a core belief of mine and that we can make sense of things together better than one of us can do it alone. And so how do you build capacity for people in evaluation, how do you begin to say, yes, I have this expertise, I'm willing to share it, I'm willing to kind of hold you all in it. But actually, if we're talking around equitable and sustainable work going forward, and we, you know, encounter this at the outside all the time, you can't hire us forever, you know, we need to build some capacity. So how are you building capacity um, with individuals and on the ground for people to do this on their own? I think the best capacity building I've experienced is, is a hybrid model where you are actually engaged with an organization or an initiative or whatever, whatever it is that's going on that wants evaluation. And you're the outside of you, the, like in the role I'm playing, are the outside evaluator. And you do some stuff and you coach some stuff and you support some stuff and you troubleshoot, but mm-hmm. you're not doing it all but you're not purely coaching mm-hmm. and that there's somebody mm-hmm. on the inside, probably a staff person mm-hmm. who's designated in the role of evaluator. And there's sort of given permission and trust to be in that role. And then you kind of work it out over time in terms of like, okay, here's, here's the, let's build the design together. Let's do that sort of in a co-creative way. Okay. Here's some data gathering Let's, I, I'll do that the first time you do that the second time, Great. right? Yeah. Or let's, let's get others to interpret. Why don't I facilitate this one and you watch next one? Let's do it jointly. Great. Third one, why don't you do it? And I'm there as backup, right? So there's this sort of transition over time where people get to actually like get in and do it, but they're doing it in a way that's really, really supported. And I think, A, those, those tend to be the best evaluations, just that that sort of the output of that work Uh is really, really strong Uh in and of itself. And the legacy around what's left, it tends to be the, tends to be the highest. What the outsider can do is probably be more provocative. Mm -hmm. Notice some of the barriers organizationally that might be limiting evaluative thinking, you know, maybe have a certain level of credibility in certain spaces that helps, you know, certain things be elevated 
but not not be solely reliant on that so such that when it's gone it's gone and you're starting from scratch again yeah i love that incremental approach and 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 integrating it in over time this is a good reminder for me around how to do that so thank you we would love to hear and i think we'll we'll pair these questions together because i think they fit but what is at the edge of your knowledge these days you know what what are you and so then therefore where is your creative attention directed next like what's on your horizon what do you not know right now where's your curiosity at the moment yeah i think two big things for me one is one is strategic learning which is not new right that's been around it's a version of evaluation i mean it's it's some people call developmental evaluation strategic learning or see the overlapping circles with those two but i think it's due for a major upgrade like i just mm. think like evaluation pointed at really important strategy conversations uh is is super needed just given the stakes around those issues that we talked about before the need to move quickly, um, the need for really good strategy around a lot of that stuff. And, and I don't know what the answer is, but I think that's, that's sort of what's next is really thinking through what does strategic learning look like in this very contested and complex time. And so related to that, I think we've got to figure out how to navigate polarization. Mm. Um, you know, right relationships, need disagreement they need debate they need struggle and i think we are pushing those aside because mm. of that polarity that we're, we're so embroiled in right now so you know let's i think the default we're experiencing is to be less evaluative and more ideological right now mm. and these are very complex highly nuanced issues multi-dimensions how do we really kind of create a space for evaluation within that and elevate the legitimacy of evaluation, but do it in a way that is really kind of supportive to bringing people together and helping them to move forward on these really vexing issues that are going to shape the world as we know it in, in such a massive way. We're winding down, but before we ask you our final question, I'd love to know if there's any, anything else, you were hoping we would ask about or anything you might want to share about evaluation or what you're doing or who you're learning with or exciting partnerships. Like just, I just kind of want to say like, Hmm, what didn't we quite get to as we wind down today and want to make sure you have a chance to voice anything in. I'm, I'm really excited by the kind of work that people are doing to take evaluation to them. Like so for so often evaluation was about a program and often the end yeah. of a program <laughs> or, right. or using like satisfaction as a proxy for like impact, right? There's just right. so many limitations to evaluation. And we're, I think we're seeing this energy around evaluation being directed towards global, like you mentioned blue marble, okay, like global issues and this idea of transformation within these large systems and evaluation has a role in that. And I think we're at, we're at the, the edge of starting to really go there. And I think mm. that's very, very exciting. And, and that I think evaluation is becoming more and more accessible. Like I think there is more and more trust, right? There's there, mm. you know, I gave you referenced earlier misgivings that people have around evaluation. And, and I do see that starting to come around. And I think that's 
it's good because we need it. And so mm-hmm. how do we make it accessible? How do we make it useful? How do we bring more people in and just make it part of our practice? Thank you. That's a really inspiring way to end. And so I, our last question to you is where are you finding inspiration these days? Is there a quote or a book or a show or a talk or a podcast? Well, I think first it's in the people I work with, right? Like just that's, that's where the inspiration always lies because they're fighting the good fight, whether they're working on justice, mm. environment, rights, you name it, right? In, in government, in NGOs, even in private sector, more and more, I think there's people I'm just inspired by all the time. So that that's that's first and foremost. And then I think I get a lot of inspiration from, because, you know, you work as a sort of solo practitioner, you're sort of a consultant, you're on your own in conversations like this and with other colleagues. Like I've, I feel so fortunate to have this sort of network of evaluative peers around the world. Uh, and when we connect, there's just so much good energy around that. So I, I'm like hungry for those kind of spaces where we can come together and share ideas and and, and learn from one another. And it's so easy to get putting that it's so easy to put that aside because you're focused on the work right you're focused on the clients you serve and obviously that's very important but i i'm always reminding myself take time to just reach out talk to those colleagues connect with connect with people and uh, I, I i just draw so much from that this is so great jamie it's so good to be with you and i find the same thing i just find like i know i read the paper i hear how terrible it is out there uh, and then the people i work with remind me how awesome it is out there as well and this feels like true as i talk with you and i'm like just glad you're doing this work in the world right just like full on like thank goodness we have um you doing this work in the world you and gabe and and the other folks who are helping us be rigorous and think about what we're up to Um, So I just want to thank you so, so much for joining us. It's been great to have you. Um, Yeah, and I'm just so appreciative because it is a pleasure to be in conversation with you, learn alongside you. So I look forward to all the future opportunities we have. Yeah, thank you for having me. Great conversation. I really enjoyed it. You know, and, and the work you do and the work that so many other people who are, whether they call themselves evaluators or just put a little bit of this into their work every day. That's uh, really inspiring. So thanks for having me. It's been fun. Thank you so much. We'll see you on our next Spotlight episode of Learning and Evaluation. 